And welcome back to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. We've got a great guest today, Stefan Falk, who just wrote the book, Intrinsic Motivation. Stefan, when did it come out? February 7th? February 7th, yeah. Uh, just a few days ago. Okay. And so the best place up front to find it, I'm assuming, is Amazon. Yeah, Amazon and whatever, you know, online bookstores. I'm, I'm not super uh, knowledgeable about that, but it should be on, on all, most, of, most of them, I guess. I, yeah, I, I agree. It seems like everyone goes to Amazon now. Um, the reason I love this book is the title is Intrinsic Motivation, which I, I'm sure most people have heard of that phrase, but don't fully understand it. But the subtitles is Learn to Love Your Work and Succeed as You Never Have Before, which probably about 99% of Americans are questioning how to love their work. Mm -hmm. So we'll jump right into this. First off, what is Intrinsic Motivation? And why is it so important to, to people uh, who mm -hmm. don't know what it is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So intrinsic motivation, when you're in the moment of intrinsic motivation, <clears throat> that's when you perform at your very best. That's when you, in a positive sense, you lose yourself into what you are doing. You become one with the task and the situation. It's, it's, it's you know, the highest, you know, versions of this is like, the Nemo uh, moment in, in the Matrix, you know, the time slows down, you see what's happening, you could always figure out what's going to happen next, you can look in your portfolio of skills and tricks and whatever it is, apply it, test and see whatever, whatever happens, okay? Now, <clears throat> that experience that we have, and I, this is proven that when you're in this state, my, my mentor, Shiksamehai, he called this flow, and, and flow is the highest level of it. I think there, there are lower levels, like deep concentration, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the extraordinary experience we get is our brain's way of rewarding us for living up to one of the key survival strategies that we have as human beings, which is to push ourselves to learn and develop. So, Consequently, intrinsic motivation only happens when we are involved in solving a complex problem or challenging problem that interests us, okay? And that's the key here. It has to interest us. So why is then intrinsic motivation so, so important in the workplace? Um, well, sooner or later in your work, you will entail or meet stuff that doesn't interest you, you think is boring, think is too difficult, think it's scary, uncomfortable, or whatever. And also, even if you love doing stuff today, eventually, if you don't keep challenging yourself doing it, you will also be bored by that. So intrinsic motivation is important in those situations. It's not like you're going to run around being intrinsically motivated by whatever yeah. comes around, because then we will basically will, will not be able to do anything. We will not even be able to come up, go out of bed, because we will just view all the potential options we have to have great experiences and just stay in bed the whole day and think about that. So, but it's in this very moment. And if you learn how to switch on your intrinsic motion, motivation when you face boring, uncomfortable, difficult, or whatever, you know, tasks that we rather avoid, or we do them a little bit like and think about other things, which is piss poor performance, group my, my language. Um, if we learn how to switch it on, we, I, I can promise you, you can uh, learn skills and achieve mastery much faster than other people do. You will be able to work effectively toward any type of goal or dream you have, because you will not you will you will not refuse to do anything that is required to actually work toward a goal. And 
you will also, more importantly, even if you don't have any goals or dreams or whatever, you will be able to enjoy a high, higher level of work satisfaction in whatever you, you do or need to do. That's a promise. That's a promise. What's a long me, answer? Me, me, no, 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 no. But it's a, it's, it's a good answer. Let me back it up. Um, you know, I, I'm sh- I guarantee you there's a lot of people that are going to be listening that say, well, I just enjoy nothing about my work. What do you see as the biggest barriers or obstacles, uh, those, those probably human traits that uh, deny somebody or prevent somebody from reaching intrinsic motivation or that mindset? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd like to, to answer it you know, on two levels. <clears throat> uh, and, and, and the first, the, I would say that the, the first reason, or maybe three levels, the, the first reason is that, or the first level is that people lack a rudimentary understanding um, of the human mind, actually how our, our brain works, okay? Uh, and, and it's already available sort of in different types of neuroscience, behavioral science, whatever. So learning a little bit about that, I think, will also help them for themselves get up with an explanation. You know, why do I think this is so boring, whatever? The second, uh, which is linked to that level of answer, is that even though our brain rewards us when we push ourselves to learn and develop addressing a challenging problem that interests us, the brain rewards us even more when we conserve energy. That's another, that's the strongest survival strategy we have, because if we would not have that survival strategy, we would not be here today. Because we have lived in, in for 200,000 years in a completely different environment where the scarcity of foods and necessities and whatever was, you know, it was a fact. Life was, you know, if we think that life was full of constraints today, forget about it. <laughs> life back then, you know, that, that was, that was something else. So if we, if we, wouldn't have been very sort of hesitant for on what and when to spend our energy to have a surplus of energy, we would not be here. But that, that, that strong force in us is the main reason why we have such a hard time to take a natural interest in the things that we are supposed to do or that we get bored with things that we used to love, whatever. Because we, we so for instance, if you love to do something and then you log out and you start to perform it on habit, Sooner or later, it will be boring because there's no challenge in doing it. And there's a lot of other things that we can talk about what happens later because then it leads to what I f- believe is what I call workosis, when you actually get sick from your work. Okay. But, but, and, and then the third level, and, and this is <clears throat> something that has come clear to me for the past 10 years, is that if you really want to give intrinsic motivation a chance, which is basically saying, I want to give myself a chance Mm -hmm. to either just feel good about myself or to achieve stuff that I didn't think I was capable of. Um, You need to get rid of any type of negativity. Okay? Negativity is nothing else than poison for your brain. And everyone should understand this. I mean, with the findings about the brain that it's actually it functions like a muscle it is not a muscle but it actually becomes good at what you force it to work on so if you allow yourself to start to repeatedly think negative thoughts about your work it becomes an expert on that for the simple reason that the brain strives for perfection 
because perfection means that it will work on those things with minimal energy uh, you know spending that's perfection so the brain will not only think negative thoughts about the f- stuff that you usually think negative thoughts about it will inflate it and think negative thoughts about other things now negative thoughts slows your brain down so you become a poor problem solver why is that well evolutionary negativity is a pre-stage of fight or flight okay and what happens at that stage is the body gradually cl- uh, turn turn off you know all the organs that it views is uh, as either too energy consume, consuming to keep in a fight or flight situation because it needs mm-hmm. extra energy to fight the flight or organs that it views as oh that's too slow it's not useful in a fight or flight situation which is then higher thinking okay too slow you need to react on instinct so that's what's at stake so when whenever we have a negative you know filled with negativity our brain works slower it also it also erodes our immune system so we are much more prone to sickness and then thirdly and this 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 is amazing how this this is so common uh, it hijacks our mind so if we have something that we really think is negative that's just going to happen for instance you say next week i have a or in the beginning when i did podcast because i so have no routine in doing it whatsoever so of course it's a high stakes situation makes me very anxious and all so forth and my first podcast is seven seven days out i have a sense of the whole week next week is a bad week uh, and, and then when i when but when i do the sort of the, the the sort of the calculus of it oh the podcast is you know one hour and i have 40 hours of client sessions mm, one hour out of 41 mm, maybe not a bad week is it most people don't do that they get hijacked so the, f- the first thing that people just need to make sure is to get rid of you know negativity otherwise it's not it's not going to work but uh, but then we have a gazillion other habits you should apply and in your book you talk about your coaching approach which i would assimilate very much to tough love uh mm-hmm. pushing people to actively use their brains uh so that you don't tolerate one self-pity or uh, or shifting uh blame most people don't have access to a coach like you, especially if you're, you're a claim. How do you teach somebody to become their own uh, coach and really uh, break free from, from such things like negativity as you just, just described? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the best favor um, you can, you know, or, or gift you can give to yourself is to... Uh, create you know red alerts in your head for when you should not be lazy when you actually should you know use the enormous gift you have been given with your brain okay um, and i can share a situation uh, where, where i and I, I i've realized that this is a lifelong battle you know uh, for me even though i'm i think i'm pretty you know, well developed thinking skills after everything i've done in my life and that's not IQ, that's developed thinking skills. Anytime I feel completely certain, now I know exactly what Mike should do. I'm so, yeah, 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 I, yeah bah, bah, bah. I get the red alert. Because when I start to get this feeling, my mind will start to basically only look for evidence of that I'm right and discard everything that tells me that I'm wrong. 
So this is the mother of all failure, you know, that's certainty. Okay, mm-hmm. that's one red alert. And how can you do that um, in uh, that in a way that also intrigues, uh, you know, triggers your intrinsic motivation? When whenever you face a problem, there is one question you should ask yourself. And this question, Mike, is the least asked questions in, in today's organization. How big is the problem? And then analyze the problem. Uh, and so I estimate of the all, all many organizations I've seen, I would say that, and, and of course, this is like a Jack Nicholson moment from, from the movie, you know, A Few Good Men, you know, you can't handle the truth. But I, I, I would estimate that as much as 80% of the problems people work on are either non-existent or uh, less relevant than the problems they should address or addressed in the wrong way. Okay, because if you don't measure, you know, and really how big this problem is, is it really a problem? And if it's big, okay, you you cannot understand, uh, you know, how much a solution of solving the problem, you know, could actually cost. And there's a lot of things in this. It also spurs innovation and you know, think rethinking whatever. That's that is an extremely good question, and it also leads you to understand the problem. And it happens that the more we understand of a situation, a problem or topic, whatever it is, the more interesting it gets. And the more interesting it gets, the more likely we are to become intrinsically motivated by working on it. Make sense? So it it makes sense. Interesting how you say as somebody gains confidence in life and they believe they're certain on certain problems or they're, they're, yeah, they're certain about the viable solutions to certain problems, you're advocating just take one step back for a few moments, analyze the problem, one, define what the problem is, two, the scope of the problem or how large it is, and then start analyzing. Yeah, but I, I listened to, which I enjoyed very much, you know, you had the, no, I don't remember his name, the the, uh, the former uh, football pro on, you know, that you that you interviewed. And you asked, you know, what what kept him going when he was a, uh, when he was a pro. And mm-hmm. and the way I interpret that that answer is uh, what all high performers or superstars in the world what they share, and that is they take nothing for granted. Okay, they take nothing for granted just because uh, take Rafael Nadal, you know, uh, you know, he's won twenty five of the last uh, you know twenty six matches against a certain player. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's going to play him tomorrow. If he thinks about the statistics, he's going to lose the, uh, the match. Instead, he cultivates a healthy sense of doubt. You know, That's it. And doubt leads to a level of anxiety. And anxiety is, is, is required for perform, performing, okay? Because it sharpens your senses. Not too much, because then you become more or less useless. But, you know, a certain, you know, can I really do it? A healthy sort of, you know, you become much more focused. You know, it's interesting you say that, and, and Stefan, I know you've worked with Navy SEALs and you've worked with a lot of high performers. I, you know, I'm not giving myself a pat on the back, but, you know, my my past commanding officers used to say I was the go-to guy to to, to develop a plan. Mm-hmm. And as confident as I, I got in planning, before we stepped out the door, there was always doubt that I missed something. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know, and I didn't know what I missed. And it mm-hmm. would always be—I I wouldn't say a sense of anxiety. Maybe, maybe it was, um, mm-hmm. but that doubt always kept me 
looking at the plan, even as we were executing it, what did I miss? What did I miss? What did I not account mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm. And it kept me on my toes um, mm-hmm. and often able to react a lot quicker. So that's interesting you say that. You know, as you talk about intrinsic motivation, um, and especially somebody who's traditionally allowed those ne- that negativity to come in, um, what, what, is it a process of re- rewiring your brain? Mm-hmm. And if so, yeah. how long does that take? No, it 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 is obviously. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that is uh, you know pretty obvious that the more you practice, the the quicker it gets. It's it's yeah. like learning anything, okay. Um, but for instance, let's let's take an example. Um, okay, let's go back to negative. We can go a few uh, through a few sort of you know dimensions you can start to do this in. Um, but let's say negativity, for instance. How can you do that in a practical, pragmatic way without just being a philosophy mm-hmm. and not going to be negative? Or whatever? Well, mm-hmm. one thing you can do if, if you feel that mm, I have an inclination to feel a bit sorry for myself, you know, when things don't go right at work, you know, I, mm, I think that, you know, other people should actually do much better. Maybe I don't look so much at myself. Um, maybe I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yes, you know, I, yeah, I think I can do something about that. Okay, create a, a repeat calendar entry in your calendar. Let's say at five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it, it's good for you. And then you call that blame time, or you call it negativity time. And you basically say, oh, that is the time. I'm not going to do it before that or whatever. That is the time. I'm just going to summarize all my negative thoughts and then <laughs> assign blame or whatever it is. Most of my clients that have done that, they realized after only like one or two days, whatever, that, to be perfectly honest, Stefan, uh, I don't have any valid reasons for those negative thoughts, okay? Now, and, and that, that sort of spurs the question, okay, why it's so easy for us to have those negative thoughts? It, again, goes back to that the, the brain rewards us more for being lazy or energy conserving than spending energy. So obviously, when we fail, it's more energy consuming to blame someone else for the failure because then they need to do something different. I don't have to do that. I'm sorry to say, but we are actually not more advanced than that you know, when it comes to things. Okay, uh, so, so that's one, 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 one way to do it. Um, Another way to do it, which also rewires your brain and, and also shows you very early on the magnificence of intrinsic motivation is that whenever you have face a boring task, um, and in the book I call this like exciting outcomes, to always try to, to yeah. come up with something you want to achieve that is beyond what you can achieve today and that really makes you feel a little bit, mm, that's interesting. So any task boring uh, could be from, you know, personal stuff like cleaning the apartment or whatever it is you think is boring. Think about how much time you usually spend every time you do that task or if it's a work task. And say you do it in uh, like two hours you spend. Say to yourself, okay, I want to be able to do that in 45 minutes, but with the same or better result. All of, if you take that seriously, all of a sudden, it becomes a very interesting, challenging problem that actually will interest you because now you activate you know, your brain, which is a, a painful, but also a good feeling. And it's not the activity itself, cleaning or whatever it is, or a, a mundane repetitive task. It is actually thinking about the plan, how to achieve it, that becomes the excitement. 
And when you then perform, you don't think so much about what you actually are doing, the activity. It's more sticking to your plan and then being able to, you know, experiment a little bit with it. That's, that's a bulletproof way to, to sort of unlock your intrinsic motivation. I use this two or three times a day. So if you and I worked together, you were my client, and let's say we had had like 20 good coaching sessions, and I, I just like mm-hmm. when I scan my mind and I think, okay, I'm going to meet Mike today. These are the topics and all these things. And I really want to up my game. I want to, I want to you know, re- today, I, boom, I want Mike to just say, yeah, I'm going to own the world. Um, given the topics and everything, let's say instead of having an hour and a half with Mike, what if I only had 20 minutes with him on those topics? What would I focus on? Uh, you know, th- th- this, this is such an aphrodisiac for unlocking you know, intrinsic motivation, specifically in boring tasks or stuff that doesn't give you anything, you know. I, you know, I'm, also, I'm automatically thinking about my marriage as well and uh-huh. that you can – create these challenges in the marriage because you become, Hey, let's be honest, a man and a wife or, you know, you know, uh, your partner, you, you become comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think that's when the, mm-hmm. the romance dies is by, but finding a, a challenging way to, to, to restart, mm-hmm. uh, stoke that, uh, that romance. I, so I've got to ask you, I love, I love the idea about the calendar block daily mm-hmm. for five mm-hmm. minutes of just getting the negativity out. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen, People do that on an organizational or departmental level, not an individual level. No, no, uh, no. I have, I have not. Uh, what I have seen, uh, what I have seen um, when I was an executive myself, and and mm-hmm. uh, make no mistake, Mike. Um, uh, you know, under my regime, uh, any type of negativity uh, was not not allowed. Okay. And uh, not a focus on developing yourself in some aspect every day. Um, you know, don't even try it, okay? We are born incomplete and we will pass incomplete. And the purpose in life is to try to pass a little bit less incomplete. End of story. If you don't subscribe to this, this is not the place for you. That's it. Yeah, you know, I so, love it. So yeah. you set, set the standard for, for, for the whole thing. So, so that, that I've seen in a couple of instances, you know, how... If you do this on a broad scale, and, and obviously you need to do everything, any change that you want people to, to um, embrace needs to draw minimal energy. That's the trick here. That, that's the trick. That's, if you, I mean, people can understand, I should do this, but if it draws too much energy, they will not do it. So it has to be you know, pretty simple. But I've not seen anyone doing this yeah. you know, with the calendar. No. The, this, this, you know, when I come into companies and, I, and we talk about leadership and culture and identifying sort of an action plan to, to help one define their culture and, and start taking the, 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 the small steps to, to changing it. You know, it's amazing when executives want some detailed, deep theory that just, if you don't keep it simple, it won't be executed, especially with organizations that are much larger. Um, I, I've got to ask, cause I know, again, some people are like, okay, this is great. Intrinsic motivation. Got it. But how, how does it help me navigate maybe a, demanding boss a what they would view as a uh overly strenuous workload or maybe other personalities in the uh the office well um i think these situations are a little bit different that you mentioned um mm-hmm. if you take for instance mm-hmm. a demanding boss i think i think in general in in general in general it's extremely important to 
disassociate yourself, you know, emotionally from these problems. And then um, do, you know, what I usually call, you know, you need to activate your detective mindset, which is basically you take an analytical view of the situation and you do some analysis, okay? Um, and, and in terms of the boss, uh, you need to understand, okay, why is it that I perceive him as too demanding? Is it across the board? Uh, or is it in, at certain moments in time? Is it uh, linked to certain topics? Something that are more sensitive to him, more important to him or her, but most often, unfortunately, it's a he um, and whatever. The, so, so you become a little bit more granular and cut the, you know, basically understand more what the real problem is because then you're much better, you know, focused. Your ability to actually solve the problem if you sort of become granular about it is obviously you know, much, much, much bigger. Okay. Um, now there's a few tricks with demanding bosses. Um, if they are demanding just because they want to be demanding because they have this dissolution that, you know, that's the way to be a boss, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, one recommendation I give to all my clients that, you know, what's going to be your, what's going to be your main, your main proxy. And especially when I work with leaders, your main proxy is going to be uh, to always safeguard the best interest of the organization. And that is not a particular person. That's not the board. That's not the shareholders. That's not the, the executives or whatever. It is the best interest of the organization. How do we make this the most wonderful place to be and the most resilient place that withstands whatever you know changes? Okay, that's going to be your proxy. And then basically use that you know, as a sense, a source of inspiration when you engage with the boss, you know, for instance, okay, so it's interesting, uh, you want me to do all these things, uh, and blah, 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 just take me through, you know, the logic for how you think that this, um, you know, serves, you know, the best interest of the organization, of course, you need to, to ask it in, in a way that's not threatening, but you know, that's just yes. practice, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever. I, yeah. I worked, I worked with the boss um, that, um, I was I was very you know just almost like just went in and went out again, but I just felt that the, the transformation challenge of the company was like I just had to had to do it, and he was dependent on me. But but he he came with with um, many uh, I would say less intelligent uh, you know suggestions all the time, um, and he can call me a Sunday and claim that you know something was not working, blah blah blah, which I wish was work. And I knew was working and blah, blah, blah. And then he had talked to a neighbor that had, had some kind of, you know, idea for how we should do things. And I always said, okay, this is very interesting. That's extremely interesting idea. Okay, just take me through how you think how that would actually contribute to this. And, and also what, what's the basis for the claim that this is not working? So I just understand where to start. And there were no basis for the claim and there were nothing. And then it falls flat. So, yeah. so just qualifying the demand, working to qualif qualify the demand from a demanding boss is interesting, uh, is very important, you know, and, and also make it granular. What is, what, what, why do I say it's demanding? Is it across the board, specific topics, specific moments? Because if it's specific topics and specific moments, I can preempt them, okay, in a different way. It's a little bit like, you know, looking at the enemy, you know, understanding the enemy or whatever it is. If you look at collaboration at, at the workplace, and we come back to this, always ask how big the problem is. There is a, 
brain energy conserving um, bias called the peak end rule that is so 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 uh, you know it's it's infested in organizations around collaboration and the peak end rule is that we, we the brain if you don't do the analysis it, it always evaluate any experience you have based on the emotional high and and how it ended so if you have a relationship with a colleague and that you have interacted 200 times but you have had two meltdowns in it and the last one you had was like neutral to slightly positive and then you asked okay so how's your collaboration with mike i might say well it's not that great but in, in, as a matter of fact, we have collaborated 198 times. It, it worked you know, fairly well, but two times it was a meltdown. So it's always good, again, to ask how big the problem is. So if you have an issue with, with a colleague, do like a detective. You, you write the timeline that you have collaborated, you plot the interactions, and then you mark the ones that are, are red. And then if you get you know, the red one, if you have the red one, you can sort of go down. On this. Why are those red? What happened in those so, so forth? You know, I know, again, you work with hundreds of, of, of executives. Uh, emotion at best leads to bad decisions at worst, destroys relationships. When you're, and, and I know sometimes that is a, a byproduct of either personality or just stress level. Mm-hmm. How do you coach somebody through removing uh, emotion? Because, Stefan, clearly you, you, you've got a clear mind. You take a logical, uh, analytical approach. You've clearly learned to remove emotion from, from every conversation. How do you mm-hmm. coach somebody through that? Uh, well, for, first of all, uh, uh, what I always do with clients is that I give them I give them a rudimentary understanding of the mind, okay? Because that 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 actually mm-hmm. you know um, gives them some kind of mm, I start to understand why I react Diagnosis. maybe like this or whatever, okay? And and they should also know that most of the thoughts they have they have not actively generated themselves. It's the primitive parts of the mind, like the amygdala and the reward system and all these things. I mean, a- anyone that have, you know, meditated and, and tried to just focus on, on the breathing, they realize, why do I get all these thoughts in my head? Now I start to think about what I should eat today. I didn't, I didn't want to think about that, whatever, you know, or stuff, whatever. So the first, the first thing is to, for them to, to understand a little bit about it. And that, that can lead to rapid... Um, you know, building their ability to understand themselves much better and then deal with that. Um, what I always say to clients is uh, basically use, you know, the five questions when they face a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the first question is, what is the problem? I mean, what is the problem I'm facing? And try to describe that as a difference between where I am today and where I want to be. And the second question is given is how big the problem is. Okay, is it even worth Mm -hmm. dealing with? The third question is what causes the problem? Okay, why does it happen? The fourth question is what alternative solutions do I have to solve it, including doing nothing if it's a non non-important problem and the fifth one is what is the best what is the best problem 
And I would say in 100% of the cases when they start to practice these questions, they don't even have to do it elegantly, exhaustively or whatever. Just the process of trying to, pushing themselves to think and, and of the answers to these questions is so cleansing for them. And they are much better equipped to deal with it. I love that. So basically through process, you get them to... To, to remove the emotion and to look clearly at the, uh, the problem. Go ahead. No, no. Go and ahead. those five questions, you can use them to understand any type of problem. It could be a big business problem. It could be a relationship problem. It could be whatever. It could be a problem just that you have with yourself and use, use, use those questions. So they are universally applicable. You should program that, that them in your head. That, that is a great process organizationally. Mm -hmm. To, mm -hmm. to teach your people that, hey, once we run into an emotional high-stress situation, just ask these, mm -hmm. these, these simple questions. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, again, having worked with Navy SEALs, athletes, executives, what are the habits and attitudes of professionals uh, who you would say love what they do? What are the things that stand out either about either those, you know, the, the, again, those, uh, those habits or that, mm -hmm. the, the mindsets or attitudes that they have? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I think that the most I, I, I've detected, um, I think, 17 or 18 over the years. So I, I think I mentioned 10, something of them. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And, and um, they obviously um, have uh, different levels of impact in terms of, um, uh, you know, well-being and success. Um, the first one is, and I think this probably is one of the most important one, is that they don't accept boredom. It doesn't exist for them, okay? Obviously, they can have feelings of boredom, but they don't allow that to continue. Then they know that, okay, now I'm being lazy. I'm not thinking enough. I'm not stretching myself in how I think about this situation. I need to find a way to spin it. So it becomes maybe not something I would love and continue to do for the rest of my life, but I still need to perform. Because when we are bored, that's a negativity feeling. So our brain is, you know, working slower. And uh, with that, when we perform something we think and feel is boring, we will perform badly, which makes it more boring <laughs> to do. Okay, so, so th that's, that's the first one. Uh, the second one, uh, it's also, you know, this is interesting because um, I think many people expect something that is completely mind-blowing that they have not heard about before. That's the secret. Um, the second one is um, keeping all times and promises without any excuse. Okay, Always being on time for meetings, for phone calls, for deliveries and all these things. And always deliver either exactly what was promised or better than that. Okay? So this means that, because if you think about it, it's like a Trojan horse for a lot of skills you need to develop. If you, if you say to yourself, I'm always going to be on time and I'm always going to deliver what's, uh, what is promised. My planning skills for how I structure my work to be able to do that, you know, especially under times of pressure, they accelerate. I become a really good planner. And in terms of what I promise to deliver, I also become a really good communicator because I need to make sure that you understand what I promised and so forth. Yeah, okay. So 
that, that sort of, I would say, I don't know, is an expression keystone habit or something. I mean, that, that's a very, very important, um, important habit. Um, and then there are, are others. One we have already mentioned, but that, that's also extremely, um, no, we have not mentioned that, but, you know, celebrating mistakes. Because mistakes is a pretty, pretty interesting source for potential improvement. Yeah. So one thing I always recommend most clients is to, at the end of the day, write down all the mistakes you have made. And if you say you have not done any mistakes, okay, okay, yeah, you're not in, you're not in the game. Come on, mm-hmm. come on, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. This is an easy way to live up what you know all the superstars do because superstars they are not they are not like oh today when I practice I'm going to do something radically different whatever no they tweak how they do things okay they experiment so they 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 create variety in how they can do things okay that's how they improve okay and so that that just makes personal professional development very easy if you every day write down the mistakes you made first of all you reduce them by up to 50% by knowing that you're going to write them down and by writing down you remember them but also you oh that's an interesting thing how can i avoid that mistake well i can tweak this little one okay whatever that is intrinsically motiv- uh, motivating in itself so that that's i would say that these three and maybe the last one uh, that I don't, I don't talk so much about, but but that needs some more work. But that is, you know, you know, crazy dreams and fantasies. Okay, um, few people understand the power of fantasy and what it is. Uh, instead, it's viewed, oh, that's just a fantasy. Oh, no, 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 forget about it. When we fantasize, the beauty of fantasizing is that we can make it happen. Whatever we want to happen can happen in our head when we think about it, when we fantasize about it. And the brain cannot discern between what is real and what is a a fantasy or just a thought. So it actually releases similar feelings as if it would happen in the real life, okay? If you continue fantasizing, soon the fantasy will not be enough. You want to act it out, okay? That's a superpower. And then when you fantasize, it's actually a form of problem solving and planning because you go through different scenarios for how to reach that thing that you want to to it. So you're actually more prepared when you start to carry it out. But that's another thing. And and what I say to clients is that dare to dream crazy because even if it is a crazy dream, you want to become the next Steve Jobs or whatever, the only thing I can guarantee you is that you will end up in a crazy good place. Okay, so that's it. You brought up the, you said celebra- celebrating uh, failure or, or mm-hmm. mistakes. We, we we call it rewarding failure, uh, especially mm-hmm. within the, uh, the the special operations community. Um, and, and when I say that, reward failure where somebody took calculated uh, risk, they mm-hmm. analyzed problem, put a viable solution, mm-hmm. it just didn't work out in their favor. But mm-hmm. for for the audience, one one of the things we talk about, and it is and again, Stefan, you know this having worked with special operations is the after action review. Some people call it a hot mm-hmm. wash, a debrief. Mm-hmm. We do it after everything mm-hmm. we do. And mm-hmm. it is the single greatest, not only individual development, but organizational development tool that any organization can have. Mm-hmm. I do it on a personal basis. I do mm-hmm. it. It's almost intuitive. When I put mm-hmm. my head on the pillow, pillow mm-hmm. 30 seconds to one minute mm-hmm. to say, hey, mm-hmm. 
What did I do well today? Mm -hmm. More Mm -hmm. importantly, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. And how I'm going to fix it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Or what do I need to do tomorrow to prevent that mistake from ever happening mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. Or, 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 or take corrective action? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, we do that on an organizational level after training, mm-hmm. after, uh, after combat missions. And even within the private sector, you see great companies, great organizations, great individuals do that. The most high-performing individuals I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and, and of course, I'm talking about the special operations community, mm-hmm. specific to the counterterrorism uh, community, which are the very elite, all of them journaled. Mm-hmm. After everything mm-hmm. they did, they had these green notebooks mm-hmm. and they just filled it mm-hmm. with, with, with mm-hmm. information. And they mm-hmm. were amongst the very best, uh, in mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. both what they did well, mm-hmm. do more mm-hmm. of that, but more importantly, what did I do mm-hmm. wrong and how do I fix that going mm-hmm. forward? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, here's, there, there, there's parents, there's fathers listening to this. There's mm-hmm. mothers listening to this. Mm-hmm. There's leaders of organizations listening to this and, mm-hmm. and there's a high likelihood that if they're in the position they're in, uh, is that they're already high-performing individuals that are intrinsically mm-hmm. motivated. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do I teach that to my children? How do I teach that to people within my organization, direct reports that work for me? What's mm-hmm. the best way of going about that um, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for a lot of leaders listening in or a lot of warriors mm-hmm. listening in to this, uh, this podcast? Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad you asked me that question because um, – uh, or maybe I shouldn't be because I think that of, of all the things in my life I have done uh, that has been um, the most difficult thing. Uh, I didn't find it particularly difficult to be a leader because I, I, I have this like very strong philosophy of how to be a leader. Um, and I'm not saying that's perfect, but I just have an idea for what to do. And it seemed to work fairly well at least. But parenting is, is, is like it's on a di- different universe in terms of challenging, if, at least if you have an ambition to be a good parent. Um, I think the recommendation I have, if, if you're a person that, for instance, um, you really aspire to have, you know, good judgment, you know, basically evaluate situation, you know, you know, learn from experience and all these things, you know, that, 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 First of all, you know, it gives you a, a, a higher probability of super great mental health, okay? As well as also, you know, mm-hmm. go, good success. Um, what I would do instead of talking about it um, with kids, depending on the age, I would do things with them where you display that type of behavior with them, okay? That's what I would do. That's what I would do. I did a very interesting thing with my son. Now he was a little bit older. Um, this was uh, maybe five, six years ago now. And uh, um, we had a good relationship. Um, uh, but it was a little bit too much of father and son. And I, I felt that whenever we had conversations, uh, he, you know, I'm, I've lived in the U.S. for the past eight years and, and he's, mm-hmm. he's back in Sweden. I just felt it's, it's so easy to fall into that, like controlling stuff. What are you doing? Okay. So... I just, pure luck, I came up with this thing uh, that I needed some research done um, on uh, the human reward system because I didn't have time. Um, So I asked him to work with me on that. Uh, And he did. And, uh, you know, he got some some payment for that, you know, obviously, you know, for for spending his time. But it it was more like a regime. And and I think that that really, really, really... um, it was very, very important for him. And it was also very important for me to do things together and then also learn from each other. And he could understand me 
why did I take that specific spin on a specific conversation? Uh, why did I, why did I, you know, dislike that? Whatever you know, you, you I think you, you you teach them by doing with them rather than just talking. Then because if you do with them, then you you have created a platform for for talking also about these things. Okay, but they need to have some kind of frame of reference for what you're talking about, and that comes from doing. That's my recommendation. Yeah. It, it, behavioral modeling, it sounds like. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, you walked yourself into another question. I, I, I want to get your three top things. You said you had a pretty good framework for being a leader. What What were sort of your, your top three tenets for being a leader? Um, the first one I mentioned, that is the, like the best interest of the company. Always, always. Mm-hmm. I use that for everything. Um, it, it makes so much, it makes life so simple. So if I have if I had staff that could not collaborate um, for whatever reason, which I didn't care about, I just saw they couldn't yeah. collaborate. I just took them into my office and I said, "Okay, I see that you cannot collaborate. Can you explain to me why that is in the best interest of the of the company?" And then they start to explain why they couldn't collaborate. So I don't care about that. I care about why is it in the best interest of the company, and they couldn't explain it. Good. It ends now. So from tomorrow, you know, I, I want to see the best collaboration ever seen in this company from the two of you. And if not, we're going to have a completely different discussion. It just makes it makes dealing with your boss easy, your peers and everything. That's the first one. That's, that's, your, that's why you pay the premium as a leader. The second thing is that leadership is nothing else than good parenting. So you, your purpose is to work and help your people to develop into independent individuals with good judgment, okay? That should not need you, that one. And then the third one is that as a leader, you need to, you know, rise above the typical, uh, you know, human behavior such as negativity, you know, complaining about stuff and whatever and blah, blah. You always have to work to... to you know, find the silver lining in things, okay? So even if there is a decision taken that actually will have negative impacts on you or your departments, you need to find a way to view that in a constructive way and talk about it in a constructive way. You cannot sort of regress, you know, into something like that. That is basically what the three dimensions of leadership for me. You don't have to be an expert in the field. You don't have to know in detail what the departments do. That, that that's not necessary because at the end of the day, departments, they, they're supposed to deliver on certain goals. So you need to just understand and agree upon the goals and then follow up on the progress on that. That doesn't require yeah, I know you to... I know you're, you're, you're well aware of Project uh, Oxygen through Google, what made their best mm-hmm. manager so great. And mm-hmm. technical ability came in now to uh, at eight out of the mm-hmm. top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. This... Uh, Stefan, I, I could go with you for hours, uh, but let me end with this. Somebody who picks up this book, and, and we're going to put the links out there where people can find it. Of course, we're going to direct them uh, to Amazon as well as your personal site. LearnToLoveYourWork.com. Learn, learn to love your work. Oh, LearnToLoveYourWork.com. What are some of the outcomes that somebody can hope to, 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 to achieve from reading this book? Uh, I, th- I think one outcome that is important is better self-understanding. That's one thing. And by that, number two, um, you know, you can't take it personal that you are built the way you are. 
Okay, you 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 were not asked to be. Oh, can you please? Um, uh, can I please be more energy conserving than energy spending, and by that also be inclined to uh, you know complain about stuff instead of pushing myself and to bite the bullet or whatever we call it? No, you you never asked to that. But so don't take that personal. But make it personal to actually rewire your brain a little bit so you can get much more out of life. And and that's what I what I, what I want people to get out of the book. I want people to get out of the book the usage of methods that I know works. And it's not one method. It's like 30 methods or whatever for a variety of situations. That makes it easy for you to be intrinsically motivated by those situations. You, you, you've been working with clients with this approach for, for quite a while. Their overall happiness beyond work, I'm assuming even in their personal lives? Just skyrocket. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, uh, everything is linked together. Everything. I mean, you think about mm-hmm. it, Mike. I mean, the amount of time people spend at work. Uh, more, more I, than I, they do with their 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 first families. Yeah. Yes, and 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 if you don't, if you're not satisfied with all that lifetime you spend on work, uh, obviously, number one, it's going to affect your mental health. And two, it's going to affect your energy level and what you can put in and also get what you can get out from all other parts of your life. So, so I, I don't see, and this is the thing, uh, when I wrote the book um, and, and after now, uh, when I sort of reflected on the, on the journey, one of the things that I discovered early on, maybe 20 years ago, has been you know, more confirmed. You actually only have two outcomes when it comes to work. Either you become healthy and successful or you actually become dissatisfied and eventually also sick from it. That's what you have. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially in a day and age where we're, we're so concerned about disengagement uh, and dissatisfaction amongst our employees. This almost seems like a, a must read for, uh, for the majority of the, uh, the U S workforce, which uh, would equate to a lot of sales. Um, Stefan, if, if a company wants to bring you in, go to, uh, again, the, the website is learn, learn to, to love your work. Uh, work.com. Mm-hmm. Is that the best yes. place to find you to bring you in? That's the, okay. yeah, that's the best place to find me. Well, Stefan, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I learned a whole lot from this, uh, the discussion you actually reframed some of the way I'm, uh, I'm going to teach some of my leadership. Um, again, I can't thank you enough for all the listeners. I hope you take away. We'll drop these links, pick up this book. Uh, and again, thank you for joining the men's journal, everyday warrior. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. Until next time. Thank you for having me, Mike.